I don't know about you, but I remember when I was little, uh, I always wanted to grow up. Uh, I always wanted to reach that next phase in my life. I always wanted to do that next thing. So as a kid, I wanted to be able to do what my dad did. I wanted to do what my older sister was able to do. And I don't think that goes away. I think for most of us as, as little kids, we want to be bigger. As a junior higher, it was this idea of, I just can't wait to get to high school. I'm sick of junior high. I can't wait to get to high school. And then when you're in high school, it's, I can't wait to go to college. I can't wait to leave home. I can't wait to get on my own. And then you're in college, like, oh, I can't wait to get out of college. This is stressful. I can't wait to get a real job and to possibly get a family. I'd love to date someone. I'd love to get married. And then you get married, and you think, oh, if, I, if we could just have a kid. If, and then you have a kid, and you're like, if my kid could just not be two anymore, if they could just be older. And if you, if you believe in the terrible twos, I guess you've never had a kid because I think it's the terrible threes. Uh, but uh, you, you get to that age, like, oh, I just need to get to that next bracket with our, our kids, and then our kids leave home. And there's always this, this next, isn't there? There's always the next promotion. There's always the next job opportunity. There's always next. And those things are important. I hope that you're constantly growing, right? At any point, if someone's not acting their age, that's usually a problem, right? You've, you maybe even if you have older kids, you might have reminded them at some point, remember, you are an adult now, right? You, you have to grow up. You, you have to make mature decisions. We all get to this point where we should be growing. And here's what I know as an adult. Um, being an adult is hard. It's hard. There's days I don't feel like being an adult, right? There's days, it's funny as you get there, and then at some point you're like, man, I wish I could just go back, right? You look at your kids, if they're whatever age, you look at other people, and you're like, oh, if I just go back to college, it was so simple, and everything was so good, and, but, but here, here's what's important, and we all know this. We should always be moving forward. We should always be growing up. And so we started looking at this series and thinking about what we're, we're talking about, and, and that should be happening spiritually for us as well. No matter where you're at on the spectrum of belief, no matter if you're here and you're like, I'm not even sure there's, there's a God. One, I'm so glad you're here today. This is a great place for you to doubt and to wrestle and to struggle, and you're here for a reason. My, my hope for you is that even today you would take this step and you would continually be growing. You're continually pursuing Jesus but if you go to the other end of the spectrum, the person who's been a follower of Jesus forever, there's still opportunity to grow. Yes. It is our desire that we're always growing. And so we're, we're looking at this uh, letter and we're looking at this series and we're, we're beginning to ask ourselves, well, what would it look like for us personally to grow, to become more like Jesus? What, what does that look like? And, and last week I, I, I made a statement and some of you weren't here, the weather was a little off and so uh, we, we post all, all of our videos online, and I, and I hope you'd go back. It's in the bulletin. You can find them. I think it's important if you've missed them to possibly go back and to catch up. This is an ongoing message, and so they all kind of connect with one another. But last week I made this statement that we cannot separate what we say we believe from how we behave. We cannot separate what we say we believe from how we behave. We cannot go into this and quote this or talk about what Jesus said or how he lived and then say, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus said that, but I'm going to go ahead and choose something different. So we looked at some really difficult sayings, loving your enemy. Uh, we talked about how, what you do for the least of these, even as we looked at that this morning with John. Like, those are some really difficult statements. And, and I would say most of us, if you say you're a Christian, you would believe it. But then does your life look like you believe it? Nothing you have to be perfect. But the choices you make, the, the things you post, the things you say, do they match what you say you believe. And so here, here's the struggle, and we, we even sang the song this morning, it was perfect, and the things that we believe. In the Bible, when it uses the word believe, it means you believe it so much that it impacts how you live. 
it moves from just being in your head. <clears throat> like if you, if you go to a doctor, I would say most of you would say you believe your doctor. You believe in your doctor. You, you would even maybe even say that you trust your doctor. But then if your doctor has told you to change your diet, <laughs> if your doctor has told you you need to do something differently, yeah. do you do it? Because see, there's a difference in saying you trust and believe something and then saying that you're willing to follow it. Right? So you, you could look at that with a, a trainer and they might tell you how you need to change your diet and how you need to exercise. It could be your, your boss. You could say you believe in those people, but if it doesn't impact how you live, then that's where we need to begin to, to grow. And so uh, today we're, we're going to continue this message in Philippians. If you don't own a Bible, uh, there should be a red one around you. Uh, we'd love for you to have that. That's our gift to you. Um, it'll also be on the screen. And on the screen, there's going to be a page number. Um, that page number will let you know in the Red Bible where we're going to be. Now, if you remember, we'll go back to week one just really quickly. If you remember that the people, that this guy named Paul, Paul was not a follower of Jesus. He hated Christians. He persecuted Christians, which means he was killing them. So I don't know what you think about your life and how bad you are. Uh, but Paul was literally killing Christians for what they believed. And then God gets a hold of his heart, totally changes his life. He becomes a follower of Jesus, and then he begins helping other people follow Jesus. He plants a church and then writes back to these people. And so he's, he's been in this, this place called Philippi, and it was an extremely diverse uh, area. Um, and, and so he, he runs into these certain people. He runs into a very wealthy woman named Lydia, who probably had everything she wanted, everything she needed, and she hears the good news about Jesus, that Jesus has come to save and come to rescue. And, and what we've been saying is that the gospel, maybe you've heard that before, the gospel says that everyone is broken. You're broken, I'm broken. We've made mistakes, we've gone against uh, what God wants for us. And if, I said this last week, <clears throat> even if you're here this morning and say, I don't believe in God, well then let's just talk about guilt and shame and regret because we've all experienced that. Yep. And so we know we, there's things that we want to do that we, that we don't do. And so everyone is broken, but the other part of the gospel says that everyone is loved. Amen. So everyone is broken, but everyone is loved. And because you're loved, Jesus has come to rescue us. And so we have to realize that we're broken and realize that we need Jesus. So, so Lydia, in, in her wealth and, and, and having everything she needs, she realizes this and begins to follow Jesus. Her and her whole household. Then there's a young girl, and, and, and she was a slave, and she was demon-possessed. And, and Paul casts this demon out of her and, and rescues this girl. And then there was a jailer, middle, middle of the road, blue collar, worked hard, probably had a family, did his job and went home. And he had been persecuting Paul and he, and he has put, uh, been a part of putting Paul in prison. And Paul in prison is praying and worshiping and full of joy. And the jailer wants to know what's going on. So this jailer begins to follow Jesus as, well, this is the first church. This is the early church. This is a crazy group of people that come together and even though they're extremely different, there's one thing that brings them together, and that's Jesus and what Jesus has done for them. And so Paul establishes this church, and then 10 years later, he writes back to them, and, and, and Paul is back in prison, and he writes back to them. And he's writing back to them, and he's encouraging them, and, and we saw, if you've been here the first few weeks, it's very encouraging. It's going to take a little bit of a turn now. It's going to be a little bit of a turn, and Paul's going to go after these people's hearts, and, and my goal is, my hope is that, that it's going to go after our hearts as well. I want you to hear this. I don't know if you've been in church before. I don't know what your, your church history is like. But, but, but being a follower of Jesus is not about being comfortable. Amen. It's not about being comfortable. Yeah. 
It's about really letting Jesus speak to us and to change us, to change our hearts and to change our minds and to become more who he wants us to be. And so as we look at this this morning, um, this is going to be really written towards Christians. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, this is written for you. If you're here today and you're not, then it's an opportunity to kind of hear what, what Christians are supposed to be about. What, what was the advice Paul is giving to these followers of Jesus? And so we're going to be in Philippians 2. Philippians 2. I'm going to read it, 1 through 11, and then I'll go back and, and hit on some points. Philippians 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So if we jump to, to verse 1, this is kind of a rhetorical question. This isn't really asking if they've had any encouragement. If you've had any encouragement from being united with Christ, this isn't a statement about whether that's happened. It's a reminder. It's like, remember, haven't you been encouraged have you experienced something in your life because of who Jesus is that has encouraged your, your heart and your mind and your soul? Don't you remember that God has saved you, rescued you, redeemed you? And as he says this, if, any, uh, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. So here, here's what I want you to hear this morning. This idea of being united with Christ, and I just told you who it was that had been united with Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your history looks like. It doesn't matter what your family has experienced. It doesn't matter the decisions that you've made. There is this opportunity, opportunity to be united to Christ. Just hearing that, no matter where you're at, that should bring this encouragement. And so Paul is reminding that early group of Christians, shouldn't you be encouraged because of what Jesus has done? If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness in compassion... There should be this daily comfort, this eternal comfort for, from the love of God. Paul is trying to connect the dots with the Philippians about what they have received. Remember what you've received from Jesus. I think some of us forget that at times. I think some of us forget what we have received from God. And so Paul is reminding them, hey, hey just remember, it's only been 10 years. It's only been 10 years, but remember what God has done for you. And he's trying to connect the dots of, now, now this is what you owe. This is what now your life should look like. This is what your response should be. If you found encouragement because of Jesus, if you've been comforted by the love of God, if you understand that you're connected to one another because of the sharing of the Spirit of God, if you have tenderness and compassion, then there's this response. So for you, you have to ask yourself, okay, has that happened for me? If so, and we've experienced, then, then what? That's one of my favorite things to talk about, and the, my favorite lines is, so what? Yeah. 
So what? So what that you've experienced God's goodness? So what that you've experienced grace? So what? So what should your life look like now? He says this in verse 2. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. This is what I think will attack Christian unity more than anything is self-interest and pride. Is self-interest and pride. That will come against the community of believers, I believe, more than anything else. And Paul is saying, don't you know what's been done for you? And in you, then your response is that you should be like-minded together, having this same love. No matter how different we are, no matter how our past have looked, no matter what our culture differences are, we are like-minded because of one thing. And so as I was thinking about this, I I thought, okay, there's a couple of questions I think we need to ask ourselves. Specifically, if you're a follower of Jesus, how do you look at others who sin differently than you do? How do you look at them? Like, you have your struggles. Like, if we're honest and we were sitting face-to-face, knee-to-knee, and we shared, and you said, yeah, and we were completely honest, yeah, this is where my struggles are. But how do you treat, how do you look at, how do you define someone else who just struggles differently than you do? And then, how do we treat others, other followers, who are gifted in areas that we're not? Like, if there were things you wish you could do, but you're not able to do, how do you look at them? Is there envy? Is there jealousy? I promise, I think one of the most important things we have to understand is this unity will only happen if we're able to push aside a few things. And in the midst of this, believe me, in the midst of trying to be unified, in the midst of trying to be in community with one another, there's going to be problems. There's going to be struggles. We're people. We're people. I had a test done this week um, just on some, some medical issues, and, and as I was laying there and the lady was speaking to me, and she talked about how she used to live in North County, and, and so we're, we're just kind of talking about things, and she finds out I'm a pastor. It's always one of those questions. I'm, I'm always hesitant as people ask me what I do, and I say I'm a pastor because there's all kinds of things that come with that uh, job description, and so I, I usually don't offer that, but she was very quickly asking me, what, what do you do? And I said, okay, I'm a, I'm a pastor in North County. And she said, oh, being a pastor, I'm sure that's tough, right? And I said, it is. And I said, the reason it is is because it involves people. It involves people. And so wherever there's people, there's going to be problems. Mm -hmm. And so we are not going to ever be a perfect church. Ever. We're not going to be full of perfect people. And if you ever find a perfect church, run. Run. It it is because, yeah, it's, it's super important that you understand that we are not perfect people. But here's what we have to do. We can't leave when things get difficult. We can't leave when things get difficult. We're in this together. We work through them. We communicate. And then most importantly is we love one another in the midst of our differences. We love, okay, just think. You have this rich woman who has everything, and you have this slave girl and a blue-collar jailer. They were going to have massive amounts of problems. Massive amounts of problems. And so you can almost hear Paul saying, like, I know things have been difficult, but remember the encouragement that you had. Remember the love and everything that God has given you. You can do this. You can have one mind. You can have the same love. You can be together in the midst of that. Now, if all this matters to us, and I hope it does, if we've experienced his love and comfort in times of difficult, if we're encouraged by Jesus, then we have an obligation to treat others in the same way we have been treated by God. 
we're obligated. If you are a follower of Jesus, we are obligated to treat others, to treat one another as we have been treated by God. First uh, John 4, 11 says this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because you've been loved, you now love. One of our core values, loved people love people. There's no parameters, there's no boxes, there's no expectations. God has loved us in the midst of our brokenness and who we are. He didn't put up boxes and said, come get inside there and get everything right and then I'll love you. No, he loved us in the midst of it and then he demands us to love one another as well. And so this leads us to what he says next. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Difficult. Difficult. Philippians 1 is going to say, put Christ above everything. Exalt Christ above everything. And now in Philippians 2, it sounds like Paul is saying, and then you want to esteem others higher than yourself. Canicut Camps is a, a camp down in the southwest part of Missouri, and they have a saying there called, I am third. I'm third. If we could begin to take on that mindset, this idea that I'm third, that God first and others second, and then me, I think things would begin to change, not only in our, our, our own hearts, but in our families. In our families. What, what if you took a position, dads, husbands, myself, what if we begin to put ourselves third? We put our wife's needs, we put our kids' needs above our own. What would happen? if we begin to do that. So he's saying, do nothing. So no matter what decisions you're making, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter what you are a part of, do absolutely nothing from the point of being selfish and having selfish am ambition. It seems to always be threatening us. It seems to always be threatening us that our lives should be simply about us, that we should get as much as we can, that we should get esteem, that we should be recognized, that we should be lifted up, that is going to always be threatening us. But, but Jesus paints a very different picture. Jesus comes as a king, but in John 13, right before he, he goes to a cross and right before he ends his life, he becomes a servant and he takes a towel and he washes his disciples' feet. So when Jesus could have been on a throne, he grabs a towel and he washes his disciples' feet. Jesus paints a picture for us of what it looks like to be third. So I just know this for, for your own family, for our community, as a, as a church community, for our community outside of this, selflessness is always better for the community. Selflessness is always better for the community. For the community. Uh, selfish ambition could be defined as rivalry. It's rivalry. I've got to get mine. I know they got theirs. I've got to get mine as well. So we have to begin to replace selfishness with selflessness. We have to replace selfishness with selflessness. And we have to become a giver rather than a getter. We have to become a giver rather than just a getter. And then he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And so this is what conceit looks like. When I don't get my way, when I don't get my way, when I'm a sore loser, what begins to happen in my heart? How do I look at other people? When I feel like I should be getting what they're getting, and I'm not. 
What, what happens in your heart? Do you compare yourself with others and then become bitter when you think you don't measure up? Like this happens to me. I, I watch tons of other pastors preach and I'm always learning and I want to become better at what I do and I, I see what's happening for them and I see the speaking engagements and I see how uh, big their, 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 their church community is and there's this part of like, oh, that, well, why does that not happen to me? Right, and you probably do it in your own field. You, whatever your business is, there's always this next level. It attacks our heart when we don't get what we think we deserve or what we want and so we struggle with envy and jealousy and, and anger. And so I don't know about you, uh, but one of my favorite things to, to watch, and this is a confession, um, is people falling videos. I don't know if you uh, see those videos, but like, you know, people just wipe out and there's these compilations of just all these people just wiping out. I, if it comes on my feed on Facebook, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, I have to watch it. It's an addiction to, for me. I'm, I'm, I'm confessing. But I find this joy and I find myself laughing and it's funny. I know it's not good. It's not good. But, but that's just, I'm being honest, all right? And so I, I do this and I watch these and, and, you know, maybe it's not a big deal. Hopefully they're not hurt too bad. But, but what, about, what about when that happens uh, in relationships? And this is why I know Paul's only telling them not to do things out of selfish ambition and vain conceit because they are. There's no reason for Paul to write this back if he hasn't caught wind, if he hasn't heard that this is how they're living their life, that, that they're making choices about themselves more than they are about the community. So he's writing them and saying, hey, look, something has to change. And so then Paul basically says it again. He says, you know, don't look to the interest of yourself, but look to the interest of others as well. Paul is truly envisioning a community of people who have been radically changed by Jesus. Radically changed by Jesus. And this community is filled with the love of Christ. When this happens, people begin to trade in their own agendas. People begin to give up their own needs and their own desires and they trade in their pride and selfish ambition for the betterment of the community. Right? As followers of Jesus, we have to believe that if our community is not doing well, then we are not doing well. If our community is not doing well, we are not doing well. No matter what happens in this building, no matter what happens in your own home, if things are not going, into well, going well in the community, it has an impact on you. I don't know if you've heard, but in the Hazelwood School District, there's some big financial cuts that are happening. I'm sure you've caught wind of that, and there, there's all kinds of things that are, that are going on. And I was having a meeting with someone this week, and we started talking about how some people don't send their kids to the, the schools, and that's okay. That's okay. But I hope you still care. I hope you still care. I hope you still care about the kids who, who do go to those schools, who maybe don't have another option. I started thinking about people who, who, who their kids went to school there, and their kids aren't there anymore. Maybe they have grandkids in the district. I hope you care. I hope you, if you are a follower of Jesus, I hope you care. We, we are called to not only look to the needs of ourselves, but at the interest of everyone around us, our neighbors in our community. If they don't succeed, we don't succeed. If they hurt, we hurt. We, we've got to begin to take this on and say, I care about my community. And I think you do. I think you do. And so everything, everything uh, around us tells us to go in the opposite direction of this. Yeah. Everything in our, in our culture, in our society says it's about you. It's about your personal rights. It's about your choices. It's about your happiness ahead of what would benefit other people. Therefore, most of our relationships, relationships function to meet our own needs. Well, how is this going to benefit me? 
if I give my time, if I give my resources, if I give my energy, how will this benefit me? And it's about getting, but what if we said, how will this benefit other people? How will this benefit other people? Jesus makes this bold statement and says this in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple or follower of Jesus must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. He is saying that you have to die to your own needs, die to your own self. And it's not that you don't um, uh, um, suffer necessarily because you're going without. That's not what it's saying. It's just saying, do you care about other people as much as you care about yourself? And this word deny in there, look, we don't deny ourselves anything. We don't deny ourselves anything. If you want to eat it, you usually eat it. At least I do. If I want to buy it and I have money to buy it, I buy it. If I want it, I get it. Denying ourselves isn't necessarily something we often do. This is why the season of Lent is so important. If you understand, and as we head into Easter, we're in the season called Lent. It's just pre- preparing ourselves for for Easter, but, but usually with Lent, you deny yourself something. You give yourself, uh, you give up something uh, in your life. It's difficult, difficult, but it brings us back to this idea of following Jesus. Now, quickly, uh, Paul is going to give us an example of the life of Jesus. All right, well, what does that look like in the life of Jesus? And I have to say this, uh, I'm not going to do um, due diligence in, in the time we have left for what I'm about to talk about. If uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, says, if the Bible is a mountain range, this may be the highest peak. This may be the highest peak. What, what is in this is so important. There's books written simply about these few uh, verses. And so I'm going to pull a couple of things out, but I want to read it again. So we're going to jump to Philippians 2, uh, 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus' attitude uh, could also be have the same mindset have the same mindset uh, as that of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, again, I just want to pull out just a, a couple things. One of the most important things we see here is the idea that Jesus is God, that Jesus is God. And there's a couple reasons uh, we, we can see that. Uh, being in very nature God, it's not that he takes the form of God on, but, but the word here would mean that he is the essence of God. He's the essence of God, being the very essence of God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, or it says uh, something to be grasped. So we see even here that it's on the same level as God the Father. Now, this is where it can get very confusing. It can get confusing, and I understand that. But what we see here is we have God the Father who sends his son Jesus and we see that Jesus is God, the very essence of God, and he's on the same level as God the Father, as God the Father. And then the one thing that's very interesting as I study this, and you, if, you, if you're looking at it in your Bible, it looks differently. It's set, it's set out as a poem. Now, this is what most theologian, uh, theologians believe. Paul didn't write this. Paul didn't write this. What he's doing is he's quoting a poem or he's quoting a song. Now, many people want to attribute certain things to who Jesus was. 
Jesus was just a prophet. Jesus was just a good teacher. Jesus was a, a way that some people should live life. But this points to something very different. And Jesus, Jesus and Paul is showing that Jesus is more than that. He's more than that. That he's the same essence of God the Father. He's at the, 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 the shares in equality with God the Father. And then here we have something that Paul is writing, he's quoting. And so some people like to think, okay, well, it's been a long time. There's been years and years. The stories of Jesus have grown and, you know, the, the myth has become these legends. And so what Jesus really did isn't what we really think he did. And so these stories begin to grow. But here we have Paul within 20 years of Jesus dying, quoting someone else talking about this and saying that this has been a belief from the very beginning of Jesus' life. Not only did they believe that Jesus was God, but, but, but Jesus even confessed it. Jesus lived as if he was God. And this is super, super important for two reasons. Two reasons. One, some of you must ask yourself, if you are a follower of Jesus and you believe that Jesus is God, some of you must ask yourself, why are you so pessimistic about your future? Why are you so pessimistic about your future? If Jesus has come into your life, remember, if you have any encouragement, you know what Jesus has done, you know that God is in you, then why do you think so less of yourself? Why do you think so less of yourself? Uh, Rhonda Rousey, who's an MMA fighter and, and unbeatable, she, she lost uh, not too long ago, and they just did this interview with her. Very sad. I would, I would even encourage you to go back and read it and, and listen to it. But this is what she said about losing. She said, honestly, I was sitting in the corner of the post-fight medical room and was like, what am I anymore if I'm not this? This is after losing. What am I anymore if I'm not this? I was literally sitting there thinking about killing myself. Her whole identity had been wrapped up in what she was doing and what she was doing. And so for many of us, we, we have this identity problem. But if you are a follower of Jesus and you know what Jesus has done in your life, then your identity is found in that and that alone. So why do you look at yourself the way you do? Why do you continually look at your past and your mistakes when you know that God has forgiven you, that you know that God has changed you? Why are you so pessimistic and, and doubtful that you could ever change? That your life couldn't look different, that you couldn't break an addiction, that, that a habit couldn't look different, that your future ahead of you couldn't be different, that you couldn't experience joy. Again, if, if, if you've experienced these things and you know who Jesus is, then, then why do we do that? Paul in Romans at one point says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who could be against you? What could be against you? And then he lists all these things. What could separate us from the love of God? Persecution, hardship, suffering, nakedness, hunger. Could any of that stuff separate us from the love of God? No, nothing. Nothing. So if you believe, right, we talked about this, if you believe, if you trust, then, then how is that influencing the way you behave and how you think about yourself? And then if Jesus is God, this is also sobering news. It's a sobering news. The, the only response to Jesus being God is extreme. This is what I mean. There's no moderate way of seeing Jesus. There's no moderate way. And the way, the way I know that is because in the Bible, anytime someone encounters Jesus, there is no moderate way of seeing Jesus. It was extreme. There were three, three ways people responded. They either wanted to kill him. They either were afraid of what he was teaching and what, they were at, what he was asking them to do, so they run away. Or they surrender and give everything completely to him. That's it. 
There's no in-between way of following Jesus. There's no just liking Jesus. A lot of people say, yeah, I like Jesus. No, no, you can't just simply like Jesus. That's not an option, honestly. It's not an option. Like you think in your own life, and there's things that I like, but and there's things I don't like, and there's a lot of things I'm indifferent about. There's a lot of things I'm indifferent about. We cannot just simply be indifferent about Jesus. People want to kill him. People ran away from him or people followed him with their entire lives and everything was impacted by it. Everything. And so it's important here as we see Paul pointing out, this is who Jesus was. And knowing that that's who Jesus was, he says he becomes a servant. He lives out what Paul is telling you to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. Well, why? Because that's how Jesus lived his life. So Jesus lived his life. He took on the role of a servant and even his, gave his uh, life on a cross for you and for me. The only way we can do this, the only way we can do this is because of who God is. You're not going to work harder at it. You're not going to become a better person. It's really allowing the love of God to be in you, to be in you. And so it's a daily choice to begin to do this. So some of us have some growing up to do in these areas. Some of us need to understand that as a follower of Jesus, my community matters. That if it succeeds, I succeed. If it doesn't go well, then my life is not going well. We care about the least of these. We care about the kids in our community. We care about, as John said, the, the homeless people who are on the same page as we are. So we have some growing to do. We have some growing to do. And we have to ask ourselves, what am I doing in my life that's just selfish ambition? It's all about myself. We begin to ask for forgiveness and we begin to ask God to change our heart and to help us. Paul's going after the heart of this early church and I think he's going after our hearts as well and it's going to continue. It's going to continue. So I hope you'll come back next week as we hear more about what it means to follow Jesus, to not only believe but to allow our lives to be impacted to where we behave differently because of what we say we believe. Would you pray with me? God, we need your help. We need your help. I, I right now pray for our community. Um, as I've thought a lot about it this week, there's been some difficult days for North County. God, but you've put us in this location for a reason. You've brought me here for a reason. You've brought every person in this room here for a reason. Together with unity and selflessness, we can make a difference. God, would you help us? Would you help us in our families? Help us to start there. Help us to take the role of third in our homes to where you are first and our family is second and we'll take third. And would you help us to do that? God, thank you for sending your son that he points the, 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 uh, the way of how we should do life. We need your help though, God. Would you help us today? Would you help us this week? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.